to humans, leading humans towards the future of work that works for people. A smorgasbord of snackable stories to help you be a more effective leader. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is you're doing right now, whatever time it is when you're listening to this. Thank you so much for dedicating half an hour of your one precious life to listen to this episode. Now, today's guest is Sarah Benison, who is the Chief Product and Marketing Officer for Nationwide Building Society. I've only met her recently, but I can tell from the conversations we've had thus far, this will be 30 minutes of your precious time that you will not want back. So before I introduce you to Sarah, I just wanted to say a massive, massive thank you to all of you that have continued to send feedback and suggestions for what you'd like to see more of and what you've enjoyed, um, who you'd like to see on the show, how I can improve the show. You know by now that I believe that everything can be better always. So your feedback is really, really, really important to me. It energizes me. And I have continued over the last couple of weeks to meet the most extraordinary people because of this podcast. And I love that. I love it. So please do keep reaching out to me. I love hearing from you. Um, you can head over to catskeely.com and sign up to the Humans Leading Humans newsletter, which I know I don't send out anywhere near enough. So be patient with me. Or you can head to www.wearebeep.com to find out more about the experiential leadership, mind shift and behavior change and communication programs that we love to deliver for and with our partners. And obviously, if you want to email me, do you know what? You're my podcast listener. Therefore, please just email me. I'm cats at wearebeep.com dot com enough of all the introduction let me introduce you to sarah benison sarah benison i'm so 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 excited to have you as a guest on humans leading humans now, dear listener, you will know by now that what I normally do is talk about how I've met someone. Well, you will know that this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Marketing Society. The CEO of the Marketing Society is a lovely, lovely woman called Sophie, who is, you may have heard me say before, one of my favorite people in the world. So she, we were thinking about who we could bring on for this week's guest. And she said, there's this incredible woman called Sarah. And I would 100% recommend her now. You will know oh, she's covering her face. Oh, I love honesty. You will remember, I mean, the whole thing about this podcast is we don't invite people on unless we're absolutely 100% sure that they are who they say. This is not a PR stunt. So I double checked with Carol Lazelle, who is a previous guest on Humans Leading Humans and is another one of my favorite people in the world. And she went, oh my God, Sarah's amazing. So, Sarah, tell the listeners, what is your journey to here? Gosh, that's a bit of an introduction and quite a lot to live up to. Um, so me, my story, um, actually, it's been a lot about stories. So I grew up 
as an only child in a village uh, with older parents than most people seem to have. And as a result of that, lived quite a lot in my imagination and loved stories, um, story writing, storytelling, everything, everything about stories. And that has kind of been the theme that followed me through. I ended up doing English at university, first generation of my family to go to university and then was left with this sort of, now what do I do with my life? <laughs> and where do stories fit in my life? Um, because I don't think I'm going to be a fabulous novelist. That's what an English degree does to you. It makes you feel totally incompetent at being able to write anymore yourself. <laughs> and I discovered this weird and wonderful thing called advertising. I'd never really thought about how ads were made. Um, I didn't come from a background who knew anybody who worked in that. And I thought, gosh, what an extraordinary way to earn a living and was lucky enough to get a job in JWT, which at the time was a sort of wonderful agency of the year kind of agency. And I worked there in London and in Bangkok. And over the course of the next couple of decades, um, I had a wonderful career, met lots of amazing people and also had four children. And then suddenly realised that the downside of advertising was you felt very old <laughs> when you're in your mid-30s and you're thinking, gosh, I've got four little cost centres to bring up and I need to have a career that's got a bit more longevity than this has. And so made the hop over the fence, if you like, to client side, um, working at BT and then Barclays and now um, at Nationwide um, as uh, somebody who started as a marketer and going over to the other side and is now running all our products and propositions and social investment and everything along those lines, as well as all the comms stuff. That must be absolutely fascinating. It's funny, we had Mark Earls on just before Christmas and we were talking about the fact that the agency world, it should be like the engine of creativity for everything. And yet that youth lack of diversity thing I mean, how can you be the best you can be when you're only choosing from a very, very small part of the playing field? I think it is fascinating and it is very much a young person's business, which is in many ways is a great thing. But sometimes the wisdom of age, particularly when you're talking to a demographic nationally, you know, we talk about lots of other characteristics of diversity in the industry, where it's really hard on, on some of those things, but actually some quite basic things like the age of the population, not so much, but that's a whole other podcast. hundred percent, hundred percent. Let's not get it. So, so Sarah, I sent you the create framework. What did it make you think, feel? I think for me, it was really lovely to see written down in a framework, things that valued humanity and empathy and emotional intelligence. And it's been quite interesting for me because actually that agency half of my career, if you like, or two thirds of my career, maybe, that was very heavily EQ orientated because you were looking for ideas that people hadn't thought about before or insights into people's behaviour, all of that stuff. And also there wasn't the sort of rigid management textbook style way of leading. You, you kind of found your way and friendship was as important as anything else um, in the way that it worked. And that's been very different, having moved sort of big, more corporate organisations. That was a big shift in my career. And I kind of didn't really understand then how to frame the emotional intelligence in, world, in worlds that really valued IQ more strongly, in worlds where spreadsheets and numbers and all of those kind of things became so much more important. And I think that's the thing for me that's been really interesting over the course of the last few years is how do I adapt to a very different world from the one I 
grew up in effectively in my career, but also not lose the humanity that got me there. So how do I sort of go, yes, I understand these spreadsheets, I understand these numbers, but my job is to translate each of these numbers into a human action behind it and into a way of leading a team to make that be delivered in inspiring and interesting ways. And I think the framework is interesting because it sort of starts to pull together some of those aspects around what really matters in the long term for the way that you lead. And matters in the long term, no matter what kind of organisation you're in. And one of the things I'm trying to underline by interviewing people with very, very different histories that work in very, very different organisations is the same leadership styles work wherever you are. Statistics do not change behaviours. Humans are not rational. Well, exactly. And and if they were, you know, most of our businesses wouldn't exist because (laughs) it's purely a rational decision. Why would you not always go for the cheapest, the fastest? It's much more nuanced and complex than that. And I think that's the danger. If you forget that human complexity and irrationality, you become constantly surprised um, and quite inflexible at dealing with change. And yet those are the times where there's you know the most opportunity to do something different and have a mark on the world. Absolutely. You know, and as you say, you know, the people make decisions based upon how you make them feel and then they rationalize it. Then you can give them the data. But the truth is, if you don't make people want that change, forget it. Anyway, story number one. Oh gosh, story number one. Now this was hard. It's also it's so difficult, isn't it? You kind of go through a lifetime of thinking, what am I going to pick out? But I suppose it reflects on that theme around playing the long game which particularly when you're at sort of earlier stages in your career is hard to see because the long game, you know, a year feels like a long game as opposed to thinking about, well, what's the next 30 years of the career going to to feel like? The kind of time that that first really struck me, and it's been interesting to see how it plays out, is in the world of advertising is quite an interesting one in terms of mergers and changes and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. You could have a thriving business and then lose a couple of clients and, be heading into administration quite quickly. So it's quite precarious. It was quite precarious from that point of view. And I do remember clearly through a couple of the experiences I had with agencies merging with others, how different people responded to that and who stayed uh, firm to their moral compass, true to their friends, doing the right thing for everyone and who looked out for themselves in a very short-term fashion and frankly through other people under the bus a little bit. And I think that's quite an interesting thing to reflect on because in the short term, it looked and I felt like I was making a daft choice, like by not compromising principles, not sort of becoming somebody else overnight in order to succeed in a different environment. That was a risk or it felt like a huge risk at the time to me. But of course, what's interesting reflecting on it is the people that stayed true to their friends, their colleagues, the values that they disposed before and didn't become a different person overnight. They're the people who are not just still really good friends and colleagues and contacts and networks and everything else over time, but actually they're the people whose careers have thrived most. And I do think that's important because it's really easy to lose sight of that, and particularly when you're at early stages in your career and it's the first time that sort of environment has happened. And it isn't, you know, it's not just when agency life merges, it's when you get, you know, a bullying boss or, you know, an organisation's going in a way that you don't think is right. 
those moments are, are really important and that still voice inside of you going oh this isn't quite right and I don't want to do this but I'm really frightened about paying the mortgage or whatever it may be you know I've really learned that you have to stick with what you think is the right thing to do and actually the consulting thing is over the long term that proves to be the right thing to do on the sort of am I going to pay my mortgage front as well on the do I feel good about myself front and that's a really important lesson. Totally right and yeah and I think you know it was interesting I interviewed a chap last week and I've had lots and lots of um, conversations about it since and he worked for an armaments company and after 10 years he got moved into international sales he then 10 years later than that he ended up in prison for 14 and a half months for corruption and bribery now the conversations I've been having about well whose fault is it is it the people at the top who are not actually um, behaving in a way that gives everyone else a moral compass and lets them know that throwing people under the bus isn't a good thing to do, even if it's short term. So yeah, no, I'm 100% with you. And it was interesting what you're saying about agencies as well, because they can be extremely cutthroat, can't they? But you're right, you know, if somebody treats you badly, when you need someone, you're not going to reach out to them. Those people end up at the bottom of the pile. I think it's interesting, isn't it? And it's a sort of understanding more broadly the way careers develop and networks develop and the world works over time, which obviously, again, when you're newer into it, you think, well, I get jobs by applying to job ads or by, you know, a headhunter ringing me up for those. You don't realise what's happening behind and how those decisions are made and how people are asking, 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 well, what's this person really like? And of course, in the world of LinkedIn, that's even more so because you can see the connections more. And so I think it's just important to remember that decisions that you make are going to become sound bites that people that you have met say to others about you. And that sort of makes it a bit easier, I think, to then have the courage to do what you kind of know is right but feels like it might be wrong for security and all those kind of things that you need in the short term. Brilliant story number one. Okay, what's your story number two? Story number two sort of is a a theme that carries on from story number one. So um, when I was thinking about it, I suppose I called it the fellowship of adversity. (laughs) Um, I think is a really important thing to recognise and to draw strength and energy from when you're going through difficult times in a career. Because actually looking at it, some of the things that I've been most proud of achieving and some of the stuff that have become part of myth and legend in organisations and also some of the things that have built those relationships that we were talking about earlier have come out of the darkest of times. Now, they can be a sort of corporately dark times, if you like. So my time at Barclays, I joined three days before Lehman's collapsed and the financial services world went into and I didn't have a clue I'd never worked in financial services before so I didn't really understand why everyone was quite so stressed about the whole thing and then you know rode a sort of second PR nightmare storm with the whole sort of LIBOR scandal and crisis engulfed the whole of of Barclays as an organisation and that was a really really difficult time for people who worked in the retail bank as I did you know colleagues in branches were being spat at because of what was being written in the papers right I mean it was just just awful that was a horrible time and then thinking about well how do we find our way through this and out of this 
was really interesting because actually that's what gave us as an organisation uh, the, the ability in to invest in things that would make a difference in people's lives and help rebuild that reputation and help build morale in an organisation. So the Digital Eagles programme that I was part of launching there was a wonderful thing to be involved in because it has helped so many people over time get basic digital skills and help reinvigorate a brand and help people feel good about the company that they work for again. And so sort of ticked a lot of boxes um, from the, you know, internal morale, how you feel about life to the sort of corporate reputation side of things. And so I think finding those opportunities in those dark times and as a leader, being able to put those things on the table for others to lift their spirits and give a sense of purpose and direction and that things are going to be okay become really important. And I suppose what's really interesting to reflect on, you know, those usually you know, all your colleagues and friends are going through different moments of adversity at different times. And of course, we've all been through one at the same time through COVID for, for two years. And I think that becomes a super interesting thing to reflect on in terms of how you lead an organisation. What does that mean? That's changed fundamentally through the course of the last two years, um, as well as, you know, how you work across sectors and things to to make the world a better place because that sense of being knitted together and collaboration becomes really important and I think if we lose the silver linings from the last two years that will be the biggest crime leaders in organisations can have committed in a whole career so I think that sort of reflection time on adversity and what it means it is a really important thing. I could not agree with you more I think you know it's easy as you say, to just think about the dark side of COVID. But what's happened is, in, in, in certainly my experience, is it's democratised the playing field so much. So lovely to see a board member and somebody who's a lot further down the pecking order, both with their dogs, both with their kids, both with, they're in the houses with just people. So I think that democratisation has been unbelievably powerful. And certainly for us at Beep, I think the fact that leaders before COVID, they'd kind of talk about the necessity for cultural change and operational change, but now they're like, oh, oh, so if people don't feel rewarded, respected, recognized, they leave, or they're just not doing anything. And actually when people are working in a hybrid environment, they've got to have that sense of purpose and They've got to feel that they're actually recognized for giving their time to a company. And that's, you're right, you know, that's the legacy of COVID. And if it isn't, and I know for a fact there are loads of leaders who are, can't wait to get back in the office so they can carry on as they were before, it's got to be a new normal. Yes, I, th I, th I think that's right. And, uh, and it is, I think, the hardest management challenge is that, you know, I'm looking at the things ahead for the next year, two years, three years. Um, and clearly, they're, you know, they're business challenges, but you sort of have a framework for knowing how to think about and deal with some of those and how do, how do you face into it in a process, if you like. And that's what's really hard about the leadership challenge of coming out of this is there isn't a process, there isn't a template. And also, it's harder coming out than going in. Going in, there were rules. We all had to do it at the same time. There was a bit of a Dunkirk spirit and kind of, right, OK, we can, we can make this work. And so... That was, you know, obviously devastating in many ways, but also relatively easy to navigate because the tram rails were, were really narrow. And that's not where we are anymore. And that is a really nuanced version of leadership 
which I don't think I've yet seen anyone with an answer to it. And I know I definitely don't have an answer to it, but I do know that if we don't listen and learn and adapt and change and flex and you know be honest where we've got things wrong and try again and try again and try again, we won't get to the, the promised land at the end of all of this. And I think you know the inclusion and diversity point for this is is massive. I mean we've we've seen that in nationwide is we were very Swindon centric. That was head office. So that's where careers kind of happened. And it was really difficult, for example, for some of our branch colleagues to think, well, actually, I'd like to go and experience something different. I'd like to do that. I'd like to extend my career in different ways, but I don't want to leave my community, my family and all of those elements. And that has totally, totally transformed and opened up opportunities in a really different way. But equally, human connection is really powerful and just being able to have a chat and a laugh. You can't, it's so hard having a laugh with 12 people on a Zoom call because it just doesn't work. You can't have that sort of throwback to each other in a, in a very easy way. So that, that balance is going to be critical. Oh, 100%. And, you know, and as you say, it's business is all about relationships. It's like, especially when you're in a really hyper-complex corporation, because if you don't have those relationships, you can't navigate past the bureaucracy and the hierarchy and the crazy processes that everybody kind of knows need to get better. So it is all about relationships and trust and transparency. And thank you for that. So story number three. Story number three, again, I sort of, it's, it's a sort of further unpacking of the theme really, isn't it? It's the, to thine own self be true um, part. And, you know, people talk a lot about authentic leadership and you kind of go, well, what's that actually mean? <laughs> um, because, you know, what is authenticity and how do you, you know, we're clearly not an identical expression of ourselves when you're with your family and mucking around to when you're leading a team or doing this. You know, so how do you find those sort of common threads and how do you work out how to mix as a leader the showing of vulnerability without losing credibility? And the believability and, and COVID was very much part of that, I think, because you know, people in the organization wanted to know that the leaders had it, they had their backs, they understood that they were translating rules, keeping them safe, literally keeping them safe in a much broader context than we've ever really felt before. And so I don't know, I suppose thinking back, I talked about the sort of libel crisis moment, but that spawned something interesting from a personal point of view which that week I wrote a note to my team, which at the time was, I can't remember, I don't know, about 25, 30 people, that sort of scale, probably, just talking about how it felt to be the bad boys, if you like, on the face of the news all the time, and how that felt when you said to people, like, that's where I work, and what was said to you at dinner parties, the pub, the school gates, all of that kind of stuff, was really hard. And I wrote that really honestly to people. and. The response was amazing. People kind of going, that's how I feel. Thank you for saying it. Some of the sort of things that have been going on. And so I thought, oh, that seemed to work quite well. I'll write it next Thursday night. I'll write another one of these for a Friday thing. So that was, gosh, way back in whenever it was, 20, I can't even remember, 2012, 2011, that sort of, and I still, in a different organisation, still write every Thursday night for sending out on Friday a note reflecting on my week and what's gone on and what does that mean? And sometimes, you know, you go through phases where that's very orientated around, right, okay, we've achieved this this week and we've done this this week. But most of the time it's about something far different from that. It's about 
a perspective, a connection, a sense of who you are as a person. And as a way of building those bridges when you're then writing that note, not just to 20, 25 people who actually, you know, reasonably well to uh, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people at various points, feels like a really important connection. And I think the thing I would say about that is, you know, lots of leaders have blogs and notes and newsletters and God knows what else that they send out to people and they don't write it themselves. Never, ever, ever pretend something's from you because people will spot that it's not your voice and that it's someone curating you. And so when you sort of go down and boil, but what's this authentic leadership malarkey actually mean? It means bothering on a Thursday night (laughs) when you really want to be doing something else to sleep and think, no, I have to write this and I need to be honest and I need to think about it and I need to think about the context that this is going into and the context of the world around us. Um, And I need to think about the power that my words have to encourage, inspire, soothe, all of those kind of things is absolutely worth it. 100%. And again, all of the research, all of the academic research into this shows that visionary communications from the top is absolutely crucially important to take people on a, a change journey, to make them feel engaged, all the rest of it. But also, it shows beyond reasonable doubt that that truthfulness that authenticity, that being brave enough to say, this is not going right. This feels really bad right now. If you can't recognize the life that you're living in the communications for your leadership, how can you, how can they understand your life? Yeah. And I think it's also just that because, you know, we've talked about some of the sort of difficult worky things, if you like, and the environments that are kind of going on. But I think when I think about some of the most powerful reactions to different sort of editions of this that I've ever had. Actually, quite recently, one of, well, quite recently, we've all lost sense of time. I've no idea what happened. (laughs) When I say quite recently, it can be any time, basically since March 2020 is sort of melded into one thing. But I wrote one of the notes around the impact that the menopause has on women's careers. Wow. My perspective, which I was really worried about writing it because it was a level of vulnerability that was saying you know effectively there'd been a double whammy of hits in my career because of my gender one of which being you just get to the point when I'd just been put on board of an advertising agency and then I needed to breed <laughs> and so that was the first point the second point is you're kind of in a big c-suite position you're looking after what a quarter of a trillion balance sheet all of this stuff and then you've got the next hormonal mega whammy that comes upon you and they're just some really practical things that that makes difficult. So, you know, just the brain fog. I'm someone who valued intellect so much and could remember really sharply everything. I need to have things written down more than I did before because I just find it harder to recall. And anyone who's been through this will understand that you suddenly go, I know it's there. I know it's there. And I think that's really hard. And I actually talk very honestly around things like regulatory interviews and all that kind of fun that I do as part of my role, how that's then weighted against women because of that reason. And actually, it's very simple to solve. Similarly, you know, the way that we thought about branch uniform just made you really hot, had a horrible, you know, design to boil in a bag lining to jackets. And so, I, you know, I wore the branch uniform and I really championed us being able to develop new fibres, new things that meant that women could be comfortable And it's those sort of things. They're not rocket science exactly. Please, can I look at my notes and please, can I not wear a boil in a bag jacket to work all day? But they make a profound difference 
to women's levels of confidence and comfort and being able to still thrive because actually you're bringing so much at this point in your life with a sort of resurgence of me time and all of that kind of stuff that comes and enthusiasm and energy and curiosity but that was one of the things that I find I, I sort of sat there going should I send this this feels a bit you know it is what I thought this week it is what I really struggled with this week it was the sort of aha moment can I share it can I share it how will that feel and the impact was just extraordinary. I literally spent most of the day afterwards crying because, of course, I got all these notes back. And you said that, I felt I could. And, and you just think that's what that's what makes a difference. And that's how you use the voice that you end up having as a leader to make a much more profound difference and that people then trust you and also forgive you when you can't remember that name <laughs> when you used to be so good at it. <laughs> Sarah, that is an extraordinary, extraordinary story. Dear listeners, I, I honestly, I think I've got a girl crush on you. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, there are things that people don't talk about because they think people, it may reflect on them badly. Talk about them because, you know, what well, everybody else is going through those things too. And by you being honest and open, I'm not sure about the word authentic, but yeah, by being authentic, you allow them to be. I love that story. That's, I'm feeling quite emotional about that, actually. So we're at that point in the podcast where I have to ask you, what would you like to call your episode of Humans Leading Humans? So I think, given the fact that we had a bit of a theme on this going through all the stories and all the conversations, and you can craft this much better in true editing style, but I think something like faking it doesn't make it feels like it could be the right kind of territory. Faking it doesn't make it. I absolutely love that. 100% love that. Thank you so much for your experience and your energy. And uh, and I, I don't know about you, listener, but I am thought provoked and it's going to inspire me to do things differently. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. my goodness me oh my goodness me did I did I mention how much I absolutely love having these conversations with these incredible people and how inspired and motivated and I guess validated by every single conversation that I have but my goodness me Sarah what an inspiration you are I know that every single woman who has just listened to that story will be feeling the same way that I'm feeling right now. You are just amazing. And so that's it. That's what's bubbling up. It's about, you know, we've talked a lot about diversity. We've talked about sexuality. We've talked about racism. We've talked about a lot of things. But here's the thing that we just don't talk about enough. Ageism. There's this crazy kind of deification of youth and then equally crazy perceptions about what getting older means and there's very little talk about the wisdom and the phenomenally beautiful love him to bits chip conley talked a little bit about this in his episode but yeah what courage it must have taken to send that message and listener would you have done that and the common sense, the words of wisdom, that if you throw people under the bus, they will not want to work with you in the future. It's really simple. It's common sense. Don't be what 
you think you should be in corporate environments. Just be nice. Just be nice. It's really simple. And people will want to work with you in the future. It's really simple. Good relationships lead to good business. You have been listening to humans leading humans towards a future of work that works for people. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Marketing Society. And if you're not a member already, I'd suggest you pop over to their website and join up. It's worth it. A massive, massive thanks to the fantastic Super Terrania for the magical sting of stings. Go to We Are Beep to find out more about the Create framework and how we support companies by unlocking the problem-solving potential of humans. If you loved this week's episode, pass it on to your friends. Pass it on to your colleagues you think might need a shot of inspiration and courage. Better still, if you've got a boss who doesn't understand how to create environments in which humans thrive, please pass this on to them. Thank you so much for joining me. Please subscribe. The links are in the notes. Be inspired. Be imaginal. Be more human. And I look forward to seeing you next time. Mm -hmm.